So is this just our life now, Paul? We've just got to have an incredibly dramatic week in football and then try and pick out whatever just happened over the course of the last 24 hours. Another ridiculous week for Manchester United. Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? I'm, and you have to wonder whether we'll ever play another game at Old Trafford again or if this is just going to become <laughs> a, a bi-weekly occurrence. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, incredible. incredible. I'll tell you one thing. If we end up protesting at, at every single home game, then we might never play <laughs> like that. Then we might never play another game at Old Trafford again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's the, the, the fact that the game was postponed in terms of, you know, talking about things to talk about, it, it doesn't really make any difference because... There's so much to talk about. Another week where we've got more to talk about, arguably off the pitch than on it. But still, we'll plough on. Welcome to this week's Red Voices, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. You've got me, you and Lennox and Himble going to discuss this week's action and non-action. Uh, we do have two games to cover, including a boring nil-nil draw against Leeds United and the 6-2 thumping of Roma in the Europa League. But there's only one place to start. That is indeed the protest at Old Trafford earlier on today that ended with the postponement of United-Liverpool and the reaction, the fallout, and our personal opinions on that will follow shortly. But before we get on to all that, Paul, how are we doing? I'm very well, thanks, Ewan. Yeah, not bad at all. I didn't go to the protest today. Uh, my brother was there, so he was sending me um, updates and photos and stuff on WhatsApp. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't... I, obviously, I thought there'd be a reasonably big crowd there, but um, wow. I mean, it just snowballed, didn't it? And um, mm. yeah, unbelievable scenes, really. But yeah, I'm very well, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, I mean, I guess we have to start there, don't we? I mean, it's obviously, you know, I appreciate that, you know, Rich and I aren't complete mugs when it comes to fan opinion of our own. But obviously, you having your own sort of personal relationship with you having your season ticket and your family's relationship to the club obviously gives us a bit more of a, it gives us a, a different perspective. So where were you at leading up to these protests? Right, well, I mean, I guess we go back a couple of weeks to that Sunday when um, news of the European Super League was starting to filter out. And I was actually away with, with my family. Um, or, or I was out with my kids at the time. And I, I think I can't remember there's a WhatsApp message or, or whatever. But um, in fact, it was, a, it was a WhatsApp message from, from Rich and um, on, the, on the Red Voices group chat. And, and I kind of just thought, oh, here we go again. You know, you, you know you've got to remember that European Super League has been talked about now since I was a kid, pretty much. So I just kind of thought not very little of it. And then obviously, as the day went on and drew into the evening, it became clear that this was actually pretty serious. To be honest with you, as soon as I realised that it was serious, and as soon as I started to, to hear some of the pretty sordid details about it all and the way it had been brought about, or, was, or yeah, brought about by these sort of conniving grubby little men behind the scenes I immediately knew it wasn't a decision or a choice I just knew that if this went ahead that was it for me United would be dead to me I'd have the memories you know they've been a part of my life all my life I've been going to Old Trafford since I was eight and now 40 Um, my granddad was a United fan my dad's a United fan you know and my son is now a United fan I go to the games with him with my brother you know And and all that sounds a bit cliche but it's true it is in our blood, you know, 100%. It's part of our lives. It's part of our history, our family history. And I knew there and then United would be a thing of the past for me. Um, and I would mourn Manchester United if that had gone ahead. And, and it might sound kind of over the top, but that's I'm just giving you my honest reaction as I felt it and experienced it at the time. And I felt really sad. I felt really, I mean, I was incredibly angry, but also incredibly sad. And and, and the sadness, it wasn't just the, the European Super League idea that, and, that made me angry and sad. It was the last 15, 16 years of watching the club that I love and, and, you know, the club of my dad and my grandfather and all the rest of it just kind of drifting and being allowed to decay and rot and and today I guess you know that is 15 to 16 years of, of righteous fury about what's essentially a scandal that's been a stain on successive governments and, and the so-called football authorities that that these people were allowed to, to to do what they did to Manchester United and with Manchester United and it's watching some of the coverage and listening to some of the coverage today you'd think that this was the first time United fans had, had made 
even a peep about the Glazer ownership. <laughs> you know, and, right, and yeah, sure. It's just, it's incredible. We, we've been protesting. We protested when, when the Glazers took over. We continue to protest d- during, you know, periods of unbelievable success under Alex Ferguson. And we're still protesting mm. now. And, and the Super League was an abhorrent concept, but it was hardly a surprise. And it was, it was... That idea was just was merely the mask that United fans knew the Glazers were wearing the day they took over our club, slipping enough for the rest of the world to finally see what was underneath. I mean, what, what about? Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, Paul. Are you telling me you don't believe the fact that Ed Woodward didn't have anything to do with these <laughs> I mean, plans and fell I mean, on his own sword so gallantly? Oh, I mean, come on. I mean, the, 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 and that's another thing, isn't it? It's, it's how how stupid do they think we are? It's the fools they take us for. And that that mm. grovelling, pathetic apology letter from uh, from Joel Glazer, and and similarly from John Henry, you know the, that that yeah. video message from him. My God, the, like the cringe of it all. I sort of came to realization. I don't think they understand. I don't think they can even comprehend of the love that we feel for our football clubs. Not just the Glazers, but you know all these pretty grim uh, individuals. They, I don't think they can even comprehend the level of feeling that we have. For our clubs, and um, and I think that really just sort of came boiling over today at the protests. But it's not the first time. I remember 2010, maybe I was. I think it was a Carling Cup game. It happened a couple of times, but this was the one that really stood out. And it was really, you know, in the midst of that green and gold campaign, a really big green and gold campaign. I think it was the season that Beckham wore the green and gold scarf. I could be mm, getting my, yeah. my timings all mixed up here, but. No, no, you bang on. In terms of the protests, it happened a lot that season. You had a protest at the Carling Cup final against, that's right, yeah. oh, was it Villa, I want to say? And then we had the AC Milan game where Beckham put a scarf on as well, very pointedly. You're right, it was all over that season. And that was a year well, a year after we'd won three successive yeah. league titles and been in two successive Champions League finals. But no, of course, we've, this is the first anyone's heard exactly. of any protest. And you know what, right, as well, mate, I, sure. I, I was at, I was at a game that season. It happened, like I say, a few times. But there, was, there was one game in particular, I can't remember who we were playing. I sit um, just near the Stretford end and, and a flag was unfurled, a Glazers out flag on, on a green and gold background, as, as far as I remember. Mm. It was unfurled in the Stratford end by a couple of guys. And honestly, the speed with which they were pretty brutally removed from the stadium by like a bunch of, of, of heavies was unbelievable. I mean, this has been simmering away for a long, long time. And, and you know, the Super League is, is what it is. It's, it's horrific. But it's not just that. This is years and years, well over a decade, you know, a decade and a half of, of, of hurt the United. No, and I think that's a particularly prescient point in talking about the fact that this, this has been building up now for 16 years, pretty much. This isn't something that's been that's bubbled up overnight as a result of just the Super League plans. Yes, they've obviously had an effect because yeah. obviously there was no fan consultation on this and you were talking about ripping United out of a competition that is indelibly part of the fabric of United. You know, going back to the 50s in terms of how important it was to us with the Munich air disaster and going on from there with the subsequent victories in the European Cup. You know, it, it was a fundamental... It's not even a misunderstanding fundamental ignorance about one of the bedrocks of this club and not only that it it came on top of a season where or a a period in time where United fans haven't been able to get back into stadiums where we talk so much about how much money has been taken out of the club how the Glazers are able to enjoy their dividends how we haven't been in full control of our own destiny in terms of how high our ceiling is as a club for some time now and we banked on the genius of Sir Alex Ferguson to get us through to 28-2013 and after that we've seen so many dips and so much trouble and so much poor financial mismanagement and poor decisions on and off the pitch and it all came to a head today you know I've seen people talk about it it being staged or planned to make sure that City couldn't celebrate the title this weekend Liverpool fans also giving it the big one saying, oh gosh, it's ridiculous, you know, if this had happened at Anfield, then they wouldn't get anywhere near the amount of quote-unquote positive coverage. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Oh, I mean, my goodness. I mean, what a day in which I'm trying to talk to Scousers about this. I mean, obviously, this isn't the, the entirety of their fan base, because I would imagine the vast majority of Liverpool fans see the protest for what it is and have their own feelings very 
very upset feelings at FSG in terms of the way Liverpool Football Club is run. So this obviously isn't a, a, a slander on that entire fan base, but good God. Anyway, you know, it, it's all kicked off at, you know, hotel football and the Lowry, you know, in terms of the players not coming out of the hotel and large-scale protests all over the sort of the, the Keys area in Old Trafford. And if you understood anything about the feeling in the fan base towards the Glazers, the problems that their ownership has caused us. The fact that they made Manchester United, and the best possible way I can describe it, is they made our club by itself. Yeah. If you don't understand the hurt that that's caused and the anger and the frustration that's caused and the way that protests have fallen on deaf ears so frequently. Now, admittedly, there hasn't been large-scale protests at Old Trafford, not consistent large-scale protests now for some time. And yes, it's taken the ESL and the proposals to really sort of push us over the edge in that sense. But that anger has not ever gone away. Yes, it's not been at the same level, but it's always been there bubbling. And this was, I don't want to say an excuse, but this is a reason at this stage, especially with one of the biggest games in the English footballing calendar, an opportunity to make our anger and our frustration perfectly clear. We'll get into the issues that people have had with the protests in a little while, but it's a big statement, Paul, I feel, that we've seen protests on this level postpone that game today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the biggest game, certainly in the English football calendar and, and arguably in the world. These two football institutions, I think, was it um, Gary Neville who described as, as or said that Liverpool United should be acting like the grandfathers of football? I thought that was absolutely spot on. A couple of weeks ago, I felt ashamed to be a United fan. I was ashamed of my club. I was ashamed of what what my club had become. Today, I was proud because it felt like the fans, you know, trying to take take the club back. Solskjaer's been trying to take the club back, or at least get it back to, you know, some semblance of what United should should and did stand for. Um, and I think he's done a fantastic job in that respect. And the fans, I think, t- today were. were we're saying, look, that was not us. That stuff two weeks ago, that is not Manchester United. And we want our Manchester United back. I've already heard it today. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be labelled, or the you know the, people, the guys who were there today, they'll be labelled hooligans and thugs and not real fans. And you know, don't don't listen to that rhetoric. It's 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 from the same playbook as as we've heard so many times in the past regarding football fans. Well, any kind of large scale protest. Yeah. Like we saw that when BLM protests were branded thugs and hooligans, etc. last year. Look, the the thing to take into account when it comes to protests is that there are always gonna be a small element of people who are there to either cause trouble or who get a little bit ahead of themselves and get a little bit overexcited. Now, there is no possible way I can look at some of the clips that we've seen of people fighting with police or a police officer with a gash wound Mm. and say yeah fantastic and i'm not going to sit here and say yeah i'm absolutely over the moon that we've seen clashes with police today because that should not necessarily be the focus but at the same time these protests have got to be about something you're not going to get anywhere as we've seen so consistently with the protests that United fans have tried over the last 10-15 years by being quiet and nice. You know, I'm not suggesting that we go all out and try and attack the police because I'm not. that's a recipe for goddamn disaster at this stage. But at the same time, no one is ever going to understand the fan anger unless we make it clear. This idea that you can force change, especially when it comes to capitalists with, you know, strongly worded letters or chance in a football stadium when we're in the middle of trying to watch a game and everything no direct action like this is the only way you affect change i'm not necessarily saying it can it's always going to be pretty and you saw today at times it there were moments when it did turn a little bit ugly and i'm fully aware of that but the vast majority of people that were at old trafford today were there peacefully as i'm sure many many people can attest to the sky sports coverage was pretty attested to the fact that it was peaceful process when people were actually in the stadium itself now Yes, there were a few ugly scuffles, but why should we let that detract from the work that was done today? Why should we let that detract from the overwhelming majority of people who were there not to go and cause trouble, who were there to try and make it clear to a family over in Tampa, Florida, that their running of the club is no longer was never welcome, and it's certainly not longer welcome anymore. Like it, it's this sensation and this idea that. Because a couple of bad things have happened today, that should derail the entire message and the point of today, which is just pointless. How are you ever going to get anything done? 
Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with with, with everything you just said. And um, I, I was watching the Sky coverage um, for quite a while as well, and then I had some other stuff to do, so I put Five Live on BBC Five Live. And oh my word! I mean, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and I'm sure there's other United fans who were listening as well. You'd think that from the way they were talking that an army of you know heavily armed United fans had breached the walls of Old Trafford and set fire within, you know, and it was unbelievable the, the way they were talking. I thought Sky's coverage was, was pretty decent. I mean, you know, Carragher and, and Neville in particular and Keane were excellent. Sooness is just a dinosaur. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with that guy. <laughs> I don't even want to waste my breath on him, really. There's been a lot of hand-wringing since that Super League talk and a lot of big talk over the last couple of weeks. United fans today put that talk into action. It's being greeted with, in some quarters, with sort of pious self-righteousness. Oh, well, we, di- we didn't mean that. We didn't mean, you know, actually go and protest. It was just, you know, no, this is, this is like you say, this is action. This is the talk that we've been talking, put into action. People over the years have said, well, you know, if, if you want to protest the Glazers, just don't go to Old Trafford. Well, I want to go to Old Trafford. You know, it's part of my life. I want to go to Old Trafford. I want to support Manchester United. I love the club. So I will keep going to Old Trafford. But I will also protest at the games, and, and if I could have got there today, I would have done. The piousness that I've heard today, particularly on, on, on BBC, just, it winds me up so much because football is for the fans. And without the fans, it's nothing. We've seen that this season, during the, the pandemic. Without the fans, it loses so much. You know, the sport loses so much. Today we saw fans actually taking action against a pretty grim family like you say who whether they'll take any notice or not i don't know but i would have thought they will because to get a game like today's postponed that's going to hit them in the pockets there could be fines involved i don't know what the punishment might be if there is any but it certainly sends out a huge statement and the whole world would have been watching today well i think when it comes to potential punishments i I kind of don't care you know i saw a bunch of people almost seemingly more annoyed that the game had been postponed because it was put a hole in their Sunday afternoon schedule than anything else and it's just this isn't about local fans or UK fans against foreign fans this is about an understanding of where United's fan base is at when it comes to the Glazers and what their ownership has meant to the club in general to put annoyance of a postponement of a game that ultimately yeah it's Liverpool you always want to beat the Scousers but in the grand context right now, in terms of what is trying to be done, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing in terms of the bigger picture of things right now. I mean, forget the fact that United are second. No one-off Liverpool game is bigger than getting the Glazers out, is no, it? absolutely not. No, it has to be every United fan's number one priority, really. Absolutely. And do you look at the, the scale of the protest? And I'm very pleased and proud that the vast majority of people there were there in good faith were there to make their voice heard and were there to affect a change and get the glazers thinking about their continuing stewardship of this club and hopefully that will pull out uh, a person or group of people who are actually interested in investing in united because gary neville said it himself on sky sports it's not just about the fact that the glazers made the club by itself it's the lack of investment you can say it better than either rich or i can paul old trafford's rusting you know it it doesn't look fantastic these days on tv cameras and everything it looks fine you get close up and start really looking at some of the scenes of it it's not gotten anywhere near the amount of attention that it needs the surrounding area around the stadium doesn't look that great either when you compare it with say city's etihad campus and you know that those are just two small things you know you've got many other things that you can complain about when it comes to the glazers ownership it's the fact that the club has just been sat there left to stagnate for so long and the Glazers have essentially dined out on success that they had nothing to do with. If you can't get the frustration and why this is happening now, then I've got, I, I, I don't know what to say at this stage. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, Old Trafford's barely changed in... Well, I say barely changed. It, it's it's deteriorated hugely since they took over. Mm. I mean, say what it was, what? The mid-2000s when you had the, the northeast and northwest quadrants. Ever since that point, there's not actually been a significant sort of development or sort of up... Well, I mean, obviously, there's, there's general maintenance. Yeah, but there's, but very, there's not very anything little, truly significant. There's very little general maintenance. I mean, there's, you know, even just little things. And they are little things, but they're also... They, they mean something. Like they, they never paint it. They don't paint anything, you know? It's just... It's, 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 the toilets are horrific. You know what I mean? Like they, they are. Yeah, just, yeah, I know. And 
The Wi-Fi. There's no, and, and I don't give a shit about Wi-Fi. Oh, I don't give a shit about <laughs> oh, Wi-Fi God. personally. But you know what I mean? It's like, mm. just catch up with the modern world. What Nicky Butt's done is nothing short of a miracle from my point of view because, you know, there hasn't been a lot of investment in training facilities and youth development and all that sort of thing. Um, a little bit more recently, but, you know, over the, over the last sort of few years... They don't give a crap. I've been saying it for years, and a lot of people have been saying it for years. They don't care about winning trophies, really. Particularly, obviously, they'd rather win trophies because that mm. keeps United's name really. And in, in, but even when we're not doing well, United are still the biggest story in town. You know, they're still the biggest draw in town. As, you know, if we get into the as long as we get into the top four, then they get the, the Champions League money as well. But whether we do or not, you know, it's all about United. Uh, you know, the media is all about United, that we are the biggest club in England. It's as simple as that. Whatever, whether we're successful or not, I think they realised shortly after Fergie left, um, I think they realised that whether we're successful or not, they still make their money. So they don't really give a crap about investing. And, you know, people like Suna saying, look at all the money they've, they've, they've thrown at managers in the last, you know, since Fergie retired. And what a pathetic argument oh god i mean the fact that he can't fully appreciate that the fact that more money has been spent on the club in the post ferguson era because the glazers realized top four is going to be under huge threat unless we actually invest in the squad and the fact that ferguson had his hand tied behind his back for the last eight years of his reign at united i mean graham Sooness should not be asked about anything football related I... ever again if mark hughes is going to do a better job than you at blackburn goddamn rovers and you've got a massive problem you absolute melt of a human being I mean, why is he even being allowed to, to why are they asking a question as soon as he answered that first question they should have just said right well no more questions for you graham because you clearly don't yeah, have a clue go sit on the you corner. don't know what you're talking about and and but you hear it you hear it quite a lot from from rival fans and stuff oh well, look all the money you've spent look think about the money we could have spent if we didn't have all these debt repayments and dividends to pay out and this, that and the other. Oh, we look at what, they, what they've done for the commercial side of things. I don't give a crap about the commercial side of things. Very, you know, impressive. It's impressive what Woodward did with the commercial side of things. You know, getting all these sponsors. Brilliant. But not a lot of that money's going back into the team, you know. And you, and you really... And this is the thing. This is why Solskjaer's having to build. He realises that he has to build slowly but surely over the course of two, three, maybe four years for United to be successful again or have a hope of being successful again because we can't compete with mm. the likes of City and Chelsea in the transfer market on a sort of annual basis. We just can't. We're not in the same ballpark. If we didn't have the Glazers there, if they hadn't plunged us into hundreds of millions of pounds worth of debt, we probably could compete with them because we make enough money of our own to do so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what happens next? I mean, we mentioned, you know, United don't play at home again now until month, what's well, Wednesday, the 12th of May against Leicester in the league. And there's obviously talk now about when United and Liverpool are going to be able to fulfil the fixture that was postponed today. I don't think it happens tomorrow because it's unprecedented for the Premier League to stage a fixture so quickly again after a postponement you know even when we had that bomb scare at, in 2016 we played two days later against Bournemouth you remember that f- yeah. the fake bomb scare so I mean I would guess they might have to move one of Liverpool's fixtures around now obviously you know in a footballing sense maybe that's good for us it gives us an extra couple of days to prep for the Roma game I mean I do have a measure of sympathy for the players and Oli in this sort of sense because they've very much been bystanders in this whole thing I'm sure mostly more than anything they just wanted to play the game today and get on with things sometimes things are more important than that and this felt like very much one of those days one of those occasions where I don't necessarily know if the whole aim of the protest today was to stop the game against Liverpool but I think the fact that that was the event that is the eventuality is certainly sending a stronger message than if it hadn't have been for sure the fact that 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 game has now not gone forward as a direct result of the protest that happened today i think is sending a powerful message that you know as we as was one of the banners that was unfurled at carrington a couple of weeks ago pointed out we say when you play and you know for a long long time football clubs have been at the mercy of anyone other than the fans you know we've gone along with terrible fixture decisions increased subscriptions to sky bt amazon etc just to be able to watch our clubs play increased ticket prices terrible away ticket prices and you know with the esl now it was just a, a tipping point and i still don't think the owners of the clubs of the breakaway tile were fully realized 
just how much of a Pandora's box they've opened up by doing this. And I wonder what we'll see in terms of other Premier League clubs, like say Arsenal, for instance, who have obviously got their own problems with terrible American owners who have been riding that club down the drain steadily for the last 10 plus years themselves. I wonder what we see going forward from other clubs in terms of protest now, because the lesson from today is that if you get unified, if you take that moment and grasp it, you can affect some change or at least make an influence on things. Broadly speaking, I mean, we'll, I guess, do you feel like this is going to make much of a difference to the Glazers now? I mean, they've got to sit up and take notice after today like this because nothing like this, this is unprecedented. This is something we've got to state. Nothing like this has happened before during Glazer ownership, has it? Not on this level. Not on this level. Not, yeah, absolutely not on this level. Does it affect them right now in the short term? Do they do they think we've had enough, we're going to sell up at a, at a cut cost? I no. I don't think it does do that. And you know, going forward in terms of protests, I'm sure there will there will continue to be protests. You know, at every home game, I doubt we'll get you know into the stadium again. Um, you know, because obviously they will have to bump up security. That's going to cost them, by the way. You know, having to get. I mean, it must have cost them a fortune today in in, in terms of the police and everything, and and it's going to cost them a fortune going forward in terms of extra security. Keep up the pressure. I think we, we you know. United fans will keep up the pressure. Uh, whether, whether we'll get another game postponed or not, whether that was the intention today, I don't know. It looked like it was, certainly from the guys who were protesting outside the hotel. That could easily be done again. I mean, who knows? Who knows? And in terms of other other fans of other clubs looking at this, you know, it does obviously offer them, you know, if, if they wanted to, they could probably do the same for, you know, at their clubs. I think Arsenal hmm. fans are probably... The most comparable to United fans in terms of their sort of long-standing uh, fury at their, at their ownership. I think Liverpool fans, obviously, FSG have got a bit of credit in the bank because of their recent success. I do think most of that's down to Jurgen Klopp, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, a large chunk of that is as well. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, mean, yeah. I mean, I guess if you look at the the, the six Premier League clubs with Spurs, what necessarily? I mean, they got rid of Mourinho recently, so I don't think they're going to be asking for too much more in terms of change at the moment. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, maybe I've misread that situation. Um, as far as City goes, I mean. I would imagine there is a good chunk of City fans who abhor the ownership, but I think the majority of that fan base has made their deal with the devil to a certain degree, haven't they? I'm not suggesting by any means necessary that the Glazers are that much better than Sheikh Mansour and the Abu Dhabi royal family. Obviously, there are certain degrees of scum and villainy between them, but at the same time, there are levels to this game, are there not? Um, And in Liverpool in particular, as you said there, they won the league last season and they won the Champions League the year before that. You know, where's the appetite for huge change from them? Yeah, I do wonder about, you know, like I think, yeah, Gary Neville's saying it today, wasn't it? I do wonder about behind the scenes at Liverpool, how Mm. how healthy No, he's right. I mean, he's not wrong. The things that have been going on there are not great and they are certainly erratic in their decision making in terms of trying to furlough uh, staff members and you know, talk about the project, big picture, etc. And it, it's all been pretty ugly. Mm. Don't get me wrong at all. I mean, I just wonder what the sort of appetite there is at the moment in terms of to actually kick off a proper change. Yeah, I'm sure it's nowhere near, you know, our, our levels and Arsenal levels at the moment. Certainly United fans no, no, no. Are, are, the, are the most angry. And, and the reason for that is because we've been, we've, you know, we, we've been angry for 16 years now. So, you mm. know, this is nothing new to us. Yeah, it's just kind of the straw that broke the camel back, but it's going to continue. I mean, you know, Keane said today, didn't he? Like, this is the beginning. And it, it does feel mm. that way. It, feel, it very much feels like the beginning of something. Yeah, I mean, I guess the problem that we've spoken about so many times is that it's very difficult to keep sustained protest, isn't it? You know, we even saw the green and gold campaign, which felt like it had real legs and a point behind it, fizzle out in the end, really, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, however, we want to talk about, you know, the success of that protest. You know, we do have to point out and say that ever you know we haven't seen scales of protest on that level since. And obviously, it's a lot easier to do when you're not playing well and you're seeing all this money come out of the club and not necessarily you know Old Trafford being left to just sort of trundle along and not much in terms of upkeep done on actually keeping it on the top level of stadium that it actually is. You know, and I think there's been a lot of I think there's been a lot of apathy. Exactly, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. I think apathy is definitely ruled, and I think you get that with a lot of these instances, don't you? You do, yeah. and and just t- weariness with it all. I mean, you know, I mean the David Moyes season. I mean, I wouldn't sort of dredge over the history too much, but the David Moyes season was just kind of comical. But we all just hope, well, you know, he won't be here for long, and we'll get someone else in. And then Van Gaal, and there's a little bit of hope because he's got, you know, 
obviously a fantastic track record and that that was a miserable failure and then you know Mourinho and again he's got a really great track record and that was an even more miserable failure so I can't you know it's not just and I don't know yeah I just think there's been a lot of sort of weariness and tiredness and and yeah apathy over the last since Fergie retired and I think also maybe you know it's kind of like it feels like Solskjaer's you know doing something you're trying to do something good at United now and mm. needs backing and needs you know the, the support of his of his board and you know in order to implement the plans that he's got and you just wonder yeah I mean I you know every summer you kind of there's these there's all this big talk about you know which transfers target with you know Solskjaer's got in mind and then you know it doesn't happen, or it's left to like the very last second, or whatever. And it just feels like, oh, here we go again. You know, something's been stirred in the United fan base again, and it's not going to go away quickly. This no, no. And I think the other thing to mention as well is the, we've actually spent very little time talking about on pitch matters as a result of what's happened today. And you're right. You know, one of the things that we've seen as a uh, measure of Glazer's success is typically when we get top four qualification or Champions League qualification which hasn't been particularly sustained in any way shape or form and and the pattern that we've seen is when we hit Champions League qualification the Glazers think all right that's good enough we'll invest again when we have to and especially with Oli now I like so much of what is happening at United it's not perfect by any means and we've spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing Oli's shortcomings as we all have between us at some stage over the last couple of years but there is something building here that has more legs and more sustenance than anything we've seen over the last eight years of this club which is why I think it deserves backing which again obviously with the the cause of the pandemic the Glazers could turn around and say oh well you know we don't know fans in Old Trafford for over the last year how on earth are we going to be afford players when they're taking dividends to pay themselves out as they do every single year there is money there that can be released by players if they really want to do that if they were interested in investing in this club they could have been doing that at any point over the last 16 years they don't and they won't and that still remains a huge problem and why we don't get much further than we already are into this level where we're challenging for the lower level of trophies trying to get it to the next level and we don't hit that level this is on them so obviously there's caveats Mourinho was Mourinho Van Hal was Van Hal and all he's got his shortcomings but the reason United don't get much further than we want is down to the Glazer family and their ownership right um, we're about half an hour in shall we take a breath and a break we have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Right. Uh, do you know what the funny thing about that nil-nil draw with Leeds was last week, Paul? Uh really no I mean nothing about it was that funny I mean I guess the the, <laughs> the pre-game was hilarious because I did two previews with Leeds fan channels as I did before the game at Old Trafford earlier on in the season you know the one where we won 6-2 and thrashed them yeah. um and there was a lot of oh I can't wait for this we're going to be getting into it I assure you as soon as we get to that game everyone's going to want to win it really badly and I was getting a bit of sense that this was essentially their season oh yeah and then we got that a nil-nil draw with barely any chances created a thousand missed passes I mean it was such a non-event first time we've been at Allen Road in what 10 years or so and we got that wow it's one of those games isn't it that you just absolutely need a crowd for you know like you say with United and Leeds this season as well I mean Oli even said it didn't he before the game there's absolutely no way it's going to be nil-nil and of course as soon as he said that he thought you know it, it, it there was only going to be one outcome wasn't there but yeah, oh god, drab. Well, the funny thing was when I was doing these previews as well and looking at Bielsa's record in general, I felt like Leeds had become a little bit more streetwise, not in the sense that they were playing dirty, but in the sense that they were beginning a little bit more careful and considered in terms of their attacking approach, like they were waiting for their moments to attack. And we saw that a lot last weekend. Like they weren't going for that game at all. They were sitting back and trying to make sure they didn't concede a hat full of goals. It was a very careful performance from Leeds. They didn't go hell for leather. They didn't play up to the occasion. United probably should have scored at least one or two goals considering the half chances that they created and given the finishes that we have at the club. And it was just a bit of an off day for our finishers. But I didn't get this sense from Leeds that they fully deserved a victory or anything because they created barely anything. Their whole plan was to try and keep the scoreline low and they managed to do that. I mean, they definitely get the scoreline low because there were no goals. 
but now, I mean, given all the, the, the brouhaha and the lead up to that, to watch it be that comically boring was hilarious. A um, couple of updates on the women's team as well, who last weekend beat Spurs 4-1 in uh, like Leeds Sports Village. It was a great game. And then we beat Bristol City, relegation-threatened Bristol City, 1-0. Bearing in mind, I think this team lost 9-0 to Arsenal during early on in the season of the worst goal difference in the entire league. So it was a very difficult <laughs> game with uh, Jane Ross's late winner. Uh, sparing us some blushes, so to speak. But with Arsenal uh, grabbing a late win against Everton away from home earlier on today as well, United's hopes of a top three finish and a qualification for next season's Champions League look to be... Anyway, Paul, Roma on Thursday. Terrible first half, entertaining as ball second half. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? I thought we started the game really well. It was so much fun. But that second half, yeah, it was like the good old days. It was incredible. And there was that stat Mm. doing the run, wasn't there? I can't remember the exact stat, but you must have seen it, about the number of games that United have scored more than five goals in under Solskjaer compared to the previous six years or whatever it was you know he has made us entertaining again and, and the fact that we sometimes have to concede a, a goal or two first I guess that's um, that's part of the entertainment it was incredible and, and Roma just looked completely shell-shocked by the end it was uh, it was lovely to see actually yeah i mean let's also make special mention for the fact that it was bruno's first uh non-penalty goal in about two months yeah on thursday night i mean the the build-up in some of those goals ah i mean running i mean no one in our midfield is able to do that and hold the ball off when he's running at defenders like pogba can do in the lead-up to that goal and the one of the, you know, we'll talk about Cavani in a broader sense in a little while, but one of the things I haven't necessarily been paying enough attention to is his build-up play and the way he links with others and sets goals up because that touch, yeah, I mean, both of his assists on Thursday night were exquisite, but the touch, the foot, just the one touch for Bruno to slide him in and then Bruno to run on and just dink it into the bottom corner was absolutely beautiful. A lovely goal. Stunning. I thought Pogba was fantastic again and uh, I've been saying for a while. I think that I don't. I'm not saying we would, we would be top of the league now, but I think if Pogba hadn't got injured, we would have been challenging City for a lot longer than we were because he's had a fantastic season. When there was all that stuff that Raiola said a few months back, I was all for you know what a, just ridiculous sort of cliche football fan reaction of oh, stick him in the reserves. <laughs> I calmed down after a couple of days and realised all right, mate, stupid. Up. But you know, I mean, shows how much I know. He, he's he's. When he's in, when he's in, 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 in sort of top form and in, in, in good physical shape, and his head's with it, and and he seems to be quite happy at the moment. What a player he is! It's ab- he's a joy to watch. Well, it seems like he's more minded to stay now, given the way things have gone over the last month or so, and the amount of fun he's having on the pitch tells you that he does seem to be very much enjoying himself at the minute. You know, there's a smile on his face. You know, he's clearly enjoying the link up with Bruno and with Cavani and with Rashford and Greenwood or whoever he's playing with. And one thing I think in particular, if we're going to talk about Pogba, is I think this new formation, or at least the new setup that Solskjaer is trialling with him playing more on the left, yeah. with the double pivot behind him, and with one less ostensibly forward player. So say there's there's only two of Rashford, Martial or Greenwood playing at the minute or Cavani playing on the pitch at any one time, as opposed to three of them. So Pogba does get more involved in the attack. The link-up play with Luke Shaw at the minute has been absolutely breathtaking at times. Like They've got such a good understanding and Shaw's making great runs. Pogba can find it particularly well because he's such an inventive passer of the ball as well. And it's I like that setup a lot. I know it's got its shortcomings with McFred in terms of the pivot, and they certainly struggled in that first half. I thought in terms of their awareness of what was going on around them, giving the ball away, poor passing, they were not great for large sways of that game. And it did take us building up intensity in the second half of that game to really put Roma to the sword. But regardless, you know, when Pogba gets going and he's having a game like that, it's wonderful to watch. And it's like, it's another testament to this side, you know, how many times is it now that United have bagged five plus goals since Solskjaer came into the club? You know, when we're in the mood, we are incredibly difficult to stop, and you don't see that nearly often enough from Manchester United. And when we play like that, it's just breathtaking, really a joy. 
Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, we've still, before we get to the second half goals, we've obviously got to talk about the bad stuff first. I mean, yeah. the first half uh, after that Bruno goal, which is what six minutes in, did not necessarily go according to plan now, did it? That back four, I mean, I am wondering how much we put down the shakiness that was felt in that defence, which we haven't seen a lot of over the last month or six weeks or so, down to the fact that De Gea was in goal with Lindelof and Maguire. Now, I've been banging this drum for a while. I don't like those three together because I don't think they trust each other. I don't think there is any real sense that De Gea is on a wavelength with them and that Maguire fully believes that the keeper is going to come for stuff. There was a moment in the second half when Maguire is shielding the ball, waiting for De Gea to come out and kick it or claim the ball. And he just stays in goal. He's, he's not anticipating moments or movements particularly well at all these days or maybe maybe that's been there for a long time and I just haven't spotted it but there's no trust there and there's disorganization and you feel you look at the way Henderson marshals that back line or keeps talking and communicates and throws the ball out and knows where his players are you don't get that sense from De Gea anymore and obviously there's mitigation for the penalty with Pogba's arm I mean by the letter of the law it is a penalty you know you can't give half the penalties you've seen this season in a normal year but it is what it is there's not much we can do about it and Pellegrini captain dispatches it into the bottom corner one all bit of an annoyance especially after we scored so early and we're looking so good and causing so many problems and then the offside trap for Dzeko's goal I mean it's poor marking anyway to let I think it was Mkhitaryan in which wasn't fantastic. And then Maguire just completely misses Dzeko for the tapping. It was a bit of a mess. And it was a goal that we've seen so much from when Maguire and De Gea and Lindelof played together, which is why I don't want to see that happening. And here's an interesting question as well. Say this is De Gea's last season at United and he goes in the summer. Based on what you know of him and Lindelof and Maguire playing together, given that there is clearly that sort of indecision between them and a lack of communication, would you start De Gea in a Europa League final knowing what's at stake? No. No, absolutely not. The, I, I said after the Spurs game, I thought he should be dropped. So for exactly the reasons that you said, I, I, I didn't think then that the defence trusted him. I didn't think quite quite a lot of the last season the defence trusted him. That runs through the team, you know. If, if your central defenders don't trust the goalkeeper, it just causes, you know, jitteriness. And you can see the jitteriness in them. So no, I wouldn't play him. I don't. I don't. Wouldn't see the. I love De Gea. I absolutely love him. I adore him for for everything he's done for the club. Um, he's been a fantastic servant for the club, a fantastic player, but you can't be sentimental. You know, assuming we get to the final, we should be beating Villarreal or Arsenal, whoever gets there, with or without De Gea. But why take the risk? You can't take the risk. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with that at all. I think that's the right course of action. I mean, we saw this with Mar- Romero getting picked ahead of De Gea for the Europa League final against Ajax back in 2017, but Romero hadn't actually had that bad of a season leading up to that. De Gea at the minute just feels like. I hate to say it, a liability. Yeah, but, it's you awful. Know, I mean, guess, yeah, I mean, I guess we've got a couple of weeks to mull over that decision and, you know, the, the prospect of a second leg to get through. But the prospect of that second leg was made a lot better by the fact we scored five <laughs> goals in that second half. All began in very quick fashion by what was probably my favourite goal of the evening, Cavani scooping it up into the top corner on a quick break. Uh, nice passage of play between him and Fernandez. A lovely goal. And then uh, Cavani with a tap-in from another great move. Wan-Bissaka's initial shot parried. And, I mean, Roma as well, who had to deal with three and four substitutions due to injuries there. Backup goalie spilling into Cavani, barely a couple of metres out on him, tapping in for his second of the night. Bruno penalty after Cavani taken down by one Mike Smalling. Oh, my. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of time for Chris Smalling as a, as a person. And a player to a degree. You know, he did some really cool things for United during his time at the club. But <laughs> I don't. I didn't see anything over the course of that game that made me think, "My God, I wish we kept him." No, he can be. He just could be. He can be so clumsy, can't he? He tries really mm-hmm. hard, and and like you say, at times he can look like a really nice player, but it's just a, you can never trust him. You can never, you know, hundred percent trust him. So you know, I wish him well. I really do, but. I thought that was a bit of a harsh penalty, I must admit. I thought, yeah. Well, but, the board had already gone. Yeah, but, but um, who cares? Gift horse mouth looking, and there we go. Uh, that was 4-2 at that stage. And then delicious cross worked out from the corner. Pogba left completely oh, unmarked yeah. in the centre of the penalty area. And 5-2 at that stage. I mean, again, another exquisitely taken goal and really well worked. From a set-piece routine <laughs> yeah. as well, which is odd for us, considering some of our set-piece routines lately have been dirt yeah and then mason greenwood comes on and gets his customary goal you know man's in fine form at the minute and another word please for edinson cavani for that amazing outside of the foot pass through to him 
to set him on his way. Man, it, this is the thing with Cavani. It, it, it's not just the goals he scores. Mm. He's a fantastic player. And Solskjaer is absolutely spot on when he, when he says Cavani needs to, to play in front of the strength for them. But I think you know United fans will be desperate to sing his name in Old Trafford and, mm. and, and you know travelling around the country because he just feels like a United player, if you know what I mean. He's got that kind of swagger and arrogance. He's a superstar. Well, there's fire there as well, isn't there? You see him giving the vamos every time he scores a goal, even if it's small and yeah. inconsequential. And, and you like to win, see that it? passion reflected back, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a shame that he spent so long in PSG, really, because the French leagues, we, we all know what the French leagues like, and he's, he's, he's clearly a, a really top class player wasn't it funny though that it actually ended up getting really competitive the year after he left yeah yeah absolutely but no i love him absolutely love him. i can't wait to sing his name mm. yeah well it looks like based on reports that we've seen over the last few days that cavani is now minded to sign a contract extension with an option for going on for a third year now whether or not he'll stay for another one given the world events that we've seen over the last year i can imagine at some stage he'll want to get home and just sort of rest up in south america and given the climate their comparison with northwest england who can blame him but, but still another really like incredible Incredible uh, sign of, of Ollie's. Sorry, another sign of Ollie's incredible man management. This isn't it really because you know you, you think about the, the sort of mini crises that he's had over the course of the season with Pogba's agent and all the fallout from that, and then Cavani saying he wanted to go home, and there's been a few other things and. I think, you know, well, Cavani's ban as well. Yeah, it's ban. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's not been an easy situation to manage, and I think the fact that United are playing good football at the minute helps the fact that you can see a plan and a way forward helps the fact that you can see gaps that can be plugged with the right investment and the right players helps the fact that we are pushing towards the top of the league and we are making moves towards being a title contending team you know with caveats obviously with our owners uh helps for sure and the fact that we could potentially be back in the champions league at the first time of asking after winning the europa league in finishing top four provided we don't get a massive points deduction because we got a game postponed <laughs> i mean i don't think that's happening sidestep but anyway that all helps you know when you can see a pathway forward it's the same thing with pogba once you can see things starting to take shape and you can see a way forward it makes it a lot easier to commit to a club like this and especially when you see the enjoyment that they're having clearly having even on a game when there's no fans for that 6-2 against Roma, you could see that they all loved playing that game and they got a buzz from it. You know, Fernandez was having fun. Pogba was enjoying himself, spraying passes all over the shop. Bruno was in there. Rashford was having fun. Greenwood was having fun. You know, when you see a team playing with that much of a carefree attitude and being able to sigh through, all right, Roma, not a fantastic team. They're going to struggle to get top four, maybe even top five in Serie A this season, but they're no mugs. They're not terrible. The way that we scythe them open frequently in that second half only comes when you've got a team that knows what it's doing. Obviously, there are caveats to that because the first half was not fantastic, but there's something taking shape at United, and I think that definitely helps in terms of Solskjaer's pitch to Cavani in terms of how he comes through. And I think from United's perspective, it's a good bit of business if we can tie him down for another season. We've seen in fits and starts how good Cavani can be. He came in quite well eventually and got a couple of goals. He obviously had the ban, which didn't help. He's had a couple of injuries. And, you know, we forget that, God, what if we'd have got this guy at a couple of months earlier and had him there for the start of the season? Because he had seven months without football and he clearly needed time to get back up to full fitness. Now he's back and he's firing and he's playing regularly. You see how much of an asset he Absolutely. is. You just wish that we'd have seen more of this over the course of the season because he could be looking at 20 goals easily yeah. for the chances that we create for him because of his movement. His movement's incredible. I know people talk about his movement all the time, but it is really quite exceptional to watch. Well, it's passing as well, isn't it? It's his ability to find other players and set goals up. Yeah, and, it, and it's his kind of quick thinking as well. And that's obviously his football intelligence is, is extremely high, but it's, it, you know, players can have the, the intelligence and the, and the vision to see a pass but you know it's, and it's quite often just incredibly quick so and and then as soon as he, the ball leaves his feet he's on the move again you know he doesn't stop he's, he's, he's even if it's just a decoy run to take to create some space for one of his teammates he is he's exceptional to watch and I love to watch him live because you really see the movement of, of a player you know live obviously but it, it's also his influence in the dressing room I'm sure his influence is, is pretty immense really you know Players like Mason Greenwood and, and Marcus Rashford surely can't help but look up to this guy. Just keep him for another year, maybe even two. I can't see it being two, but you know, for another year even, it, that'll help these young players as well. It possibly means that 
you know, Solskjaer can concentrate on other areas of the team to improve. If he is staying for another year, then that really is fantastic news for the club. Yeah, that helps us out a lot. I mean, it means that Greenwood has got more time to develop across a, a genuine elite level centre forward. There's less pressure on Martial to sort himself out after probably his worst season in the United shirt. You know, he's had a really rough year. I don't think that's totally all on him, but I think he has to shoulder a large amount of the responsibility for that. Yeah. And, you know, it means that we've got some options up front fantastic you know getting a couple of players and who knows what next year's looks like obviously that's a big variable before we finish off uh paul obviously we, you know we've got to look forward to the second leg against roma which is a bit of a dead rubber you'd imagine at this stage if we're losing four nil away in italy then there's something <laughs> gone drastically wrong um MUSD have brought out a statement in relation to what happened this evening what we witnessed at Old Trafford today is the culmination of 16 years since the Glazer family's acquisition of the club. Over that period, the owners have taken £1 billion out of the club and we have witnessed decay and decline both on the field and off it. Whilst the invasion of the stadium isn't something we expected and it is rumoured a gate was open for fans, but even if that is not the case, we believe the vast majority of Manchester United staff are sympathetic with the views of the fans. Supporters turned up on the day of the game they could not even attend to peacefully protest and speak with one clear voice about the change that needs to happen at our club. On the back of an indefensible ESL proposals and an apology from the Glazers, which we do not accept, we need to give fans a meaningful share in the ownership of United and a meaningful voice in how it is run. The government now needs to act. That has to mean a process in which the fans have the opportunity to buy shares in their club. And more to the point, no single private shareholder holding a majority ownership of our football clubs, which allows them to abuse that ownership. The government needs to reflect the views of ordinary people who see that now is the time to reclaim the people's game. Strong stuff? Strong stuff, yeah, very strong stuff, and, and you know, I think probably gets the the tone um, just about right. I do wonder about our government, how much they can do. Rich would be a better person to talk to about the sort of legislation side of it, I would imagine. I'm not sure how much this government has an appetite for it either. You know, I know they came out with some pretty strong rhetoric during the those sort of mad few days of the Super League. How much they're going to follow through on some of that, I. I don't know. I, I have my serious doubts personally, but all we can do as fans and all MUST can do as as a kind of supporters group is keep the pressure up and stay visible. You know, keep this in the media, keep this on the TV, on people's TV sets, on people's radio stations and podcasts, and keep talking about it, keep protesting about it. That's all we can do as fans. So yeah, I, th- I thought it was a pretty decent statement, really. Eloquently and expertly put, Paul, as always. Now I'm going to have to call it a night because my throat is really hurting from too much talking and I need some water. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, Ewan. It's been a pleasure, mate. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate each and every one of you tuning in this week and we hope you've been able to enjoy this week's episode. And if you have, please be free to let us know. You can speak to uh, Paul at paulgunning1, at me, at Ewan like this, and the pod at redvoicesmusc on Twitter. And you can also find the podcast in pretty much any decent podcast app. So you're talking Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher. Uh, fuck, what's the app we're on? Acast, SoundCloud, pretty much anything decent. If you could please leave a review or rating or anything on those lines or subscribe to us, that'd be hugely appreciated. And given what our schedule is like at the minute, who knows when we'll be back, but I'd give it a week or so until we've composed ourselves after the events of today. You all take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. 